good singing you may be seated. I especially like Charlotte singing. I could hear her. For a second I thought it was Jenny, but then I realized it was Charlotte singing. It was beautiful. Additional note of prayer. Pray for, I'll say Min Young. Jamie is being asked by Toyota to go for six weeks down to Alabama. He leaves on Sunday, so extra prayer for Min Young and extra eyes on Min Young. We need to make sure we help while he's gone uh, and uh, make sure if there's any needs that we are ready to help. That is perfect, I guess, in this sense. It makes sense to preach this message tonight on understanding godliness. And in particular, it's on hospitality. How do we help others that need help? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 4. We're going to read one verse and then we're going to turn over to Genesis chapter 18. And we will look at Genesis chapter 18 following the law of first mention, even though the word hospitality is not used there, we get the concept of how we are to be a hospital or how to be hospitable in that sense. One verse for our reading, we'll pray and then we'll jump into the preaching tonight. The Bible says, Peter writing, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Father, help us tonight as we understand this final element of godliness. It really is the ultimate outflow of godliness that we, like God, care about and care for others. It is the old acrostic that we know so well. Joy is Jesus, others, and you. Help us to understand that tonight as we look at this idea of hospitality. Bless in all that is said and all that is done in this hour tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. What have we learned in understanding godliness in this series? It's been a kind of long and winding series throughout the year on Wednesday night. We noted in this series, however, in godliness there is integrity, there is holiness, there is faithfulness, there is honesty and stewardship and vision and temperance. There is courage and the humility. There is compassion and loyalty. And tonight, we close with hospitality. Our Christian lives are to be lived openly, honestly, and graciously before the eyes of men. Literally, God wants us to be hospitals. Yes, they are from the same original Latin word, the same root word, hospitality, from where we get our word hospital, where mankind can come to receiving to receive loving care and attention. If you've ever been in the hospital for any reason, you do not want nurse ratchet. <laughs> you want the nurse that is kind and gracious and loving. All three of our boys were born at different hospitals, but the best one was Luke because his nurse was Miss Jen, as our boys say. She was right there at every turn, and we mean that literally because Luke would not turn. She was there for every moment of that delivery, and we were very gracious to have, uh, very glad, I should say, to have a very gracious nurse taking care of Jessica in that time of need. 
Hospitality, or the idea or concept of hospitality, is one that is deeply rooted throughout the whole of Scripture. Take your Bible and turn back to Genesis chapter number 18. In just a moment, when we get into our first point, we'll be reading there, and we'll take that as our understanding of the Word. Let me say this as well. One of the joys that Jessica and I have had is to host many, if not all of you, in our home for a meal or for time. But in addition to hosting church families and Christians, one of the joys that Jessica and I have had since having children, and since those children play sports or music or are involved in the community, is to bring unbelievers into our house so that they can see what a Christian home actually is. That's an element of hospitality. What Peter was saying to his readers and to his, the audience Uh, He was saying to the church at Babylon, listen, you all need to take full advantage and use hospitality. Use an outgoing, loving, caring, attentive nature to your advantage, to God's glory. Use hospitality. Don't be one that withholds in a grudge from one another. Be involved in each other's life. In fact, Luke's soccer season just ended, and we hosted here at the church some 55 folks who've never, most of them, ever set foot inside a church. And we do that on purpose. By the way, if your kids play sports, put it on the calendar and use the church. Trap them here. I gave them a lot of words of wisdom from a wise man as I was commending their children on the way that they played when I coached them. They didn't know it was from Solomon and from Proverbs. It was just from a very wise man who lived. But they came to me afterwards, some of them who were Christians, and said, boy, I really appreciated that. Thank you for coaching. In other words, by being hospitable, you open a door and create opportunity to share your faith and to give life. Tonight, I want us here in Genesis chapter 18 to learn first in our notes the meaning of hospitality. The meaning of hospitality. In Genesis chapter number 18, we look beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Abraham is at home. Well, he's still Abram technically, but Abram is at home. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that means God himself appeared or came to him. Verse number two, and he lifted up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. You get the sense when you read it, there's kind of a, whoa, where'd you guys come from? And when he saw them, notice the action words here. He ran to meet them from the tent door bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye, comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened unto the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes unto, up, upon the earth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf, and fetched, excuse me, a calf tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. 
Verse number 8, And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and notice what they did. Now, this is God incarnate. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. These are two angels. Did they need to eat? But what did they do because of the hospitality of Abraham? And they did eat. God always warmly accepts our hospitality that is shown to others. The first mention of hospitality or the act or action of being hospitable is here in Genesis chapter number 18. Abraham opened his home to the Lord and to his angels. It is wonderful to note the action words in the passage. He ran, he made haste, he prepared, he bowed. He was ready and willing and eager to make this happen. Note as well how Abraham was looking to be a blessing rather than receiving a blessing. He knew who this was. The conversation is going to unfold so that we understand who it is in its fullness. When we think of the word hospitality as it's used in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, we have to do a little bit of understanding in our English uh, language. The etymology of our English word is from an old French, which was derived from a Latin word, meaning of a guest. It pertains to someone other than us. That's what hospitality or being hospitable means. It is what a guest needs from you. That's what the original word means. Today, there's a whole segment of our society devoted to hospitality. They have hotels and houses that you can rent, and they have theme parks, and they have casinos, and they have cruise ships, and they have all kinds of things that are in the hospitality segment of our economy and our society. Is that what the Bible says? Go and get you a room for the night. No, that's, that's not what the Bible means at all in the realm of hospitality. The meaning of the Bible word is similar to our modern usage, but the word itself in the New Testament, as we read from Peter, is from the word philo-xenos. It means one who is fond of a stranger. You like the idea of strange people coming into your presence, is the idea. We obviously know the word xenos. It's a xenophobe, someone that doesn't want to be around. They're afraid of everybody else. God says as Christians, those who understand godliness, we are to be the exact opposite of that. Now, I'm going to be careful. I realize that a lot of times in churches, we are filled with introverts. And I understand by nature being introverted. I understand that. Some of you think there's no way you can understand that. There was a time in my life where I was as well. But through careful discipline and purposeful practice... Jessica is now the only one that's an introvert in our home. I'm kidding. Uh, I have learned that this life is not the only life that I have. There is a life to come. And if I want that life to be full and enjoyable to the maximum that God desires, then I have to move out of my own comfort zone, even if at times I don't want to. There are some Sundays where I would rather just sit at home in my sweatsuit, or my sweatsuit, my sweatpants and my sweatshirt watching my beloved Bengals play and never come back out and see you people. There are some Sundays like that. And thankfully, the Lord always has my team lose miserably on those Sundays, so I come back out and enjoy your company. I'm teasing. Why are we to be 
philoxenos. Why are we to be hospitable? What is the meaning that God has for us? For people to come to faith in Christ, it means that they are leaving what they have known or believed, and now have entered into a new relationship and a new reality. We, of all people, Christians, ought to understand the need for hospitality. The need to be hospitable, because some, if not many of us, in our lives have left all and followed you, just like Peter says. And so if we can't be hospitable one to another, then who on earth are we going to be hospitable to? Hospitality is a requirement to be a pastor. And trust me, you cannot fake being hospitable. Oh, that's nice. Now get out of my house. I don't think I've ever said that to any of you that have been at my house. Some have stayed at our house when they come over at 5. The the longest running one is they came over at 5 and they didn't leave till 9.30. I go to bed at 9.30! But the Bible still tells me that I have to be given to hospitality. So I left them sitting at the dining room table and said, Good people go to bed at night. No, I didn't do that. Of course I didn't do that. Here's what the Bible tells me as a pastor, I have to be. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Could you imagine having a pastor that didn't care about people that came to his church? That guy's not going to be a pastor for very long. That church is certainly not going to be very strong because there's no relationship building that's going on in that place. Writing to Titus, a son in the faith, but also a preacher, he said this in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1 in Titus, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre or the pursuit and passion of money, but a lover, the word lover here means one who enjoys and embraces hospitality. A lover of good men, one who embraces and enjoys those who have good character. Sober, just, holy, temperate. By the way, it's not just in the pastors that it's, ex- it's expected. It is expected in the lives of faithful church members as well. Colossians chapter 4 in verse 10, Paul writing says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, that's John Mark, touching whom, here's the hospitality, touching whom you received commandments. In other words, he carried the teaching of Peter. He carried some of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. If he come to you, the phrase receive him is the exact same usage or within the same context of be hospitable to him. Be open to receiving him. Church at Colossae. This isn't to the elders or to the preachers. This is to the people in the pew. You need to be open to receiving new people in your midst. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 29, he says this of Epaphroditus, a well-received and well-known pastor for them, one who was commendable in the eyes of the Apostle Paul. But by the way, the church itself was quite reprehensible in some of the senses of how they had done to the Apostle Paul. In Philippians, Epaphroditus, it is a book of joy. It is a joyful telling of him. He says he had been sick and he was, uh, had been recovering. And he says of Epaphroditus, Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. That's the concept of hospitality. Be hospitable to Epaphroditus when he comes back into your midst. 
Hospitality then boils down in its meaning of me offering others provision, letter A. The meaning is found in its provision, or that I have the ability to provide something to someone else. Again, go back to the first mention or the first instance of hospitality in the Bible in Genesis 18. Abraham was providing one thing after another. He was making suggestions. Make yourself comfortable. Sit under the tree. I'm bringing the butter, the milk, and the calf. I'll provide the bread. You just take it easy. Everything is on me. I will do it. What a blessing that man was. What a refreshment it was, especially considering what those three were going on to do in Sodom and Gomorrah in the very next chapter. He offered them food to eat when they didn't even need to eat. But because of his openness and honesty to them, they gladly received it of him. Take your Bibles now if you're in Genesis and go all the way towards the back just before Hebrews and find the one chapter letter to Philemon. We're going to see another instance of provision. Sometimes we think of provision as just material wealth. But it's also spiritual openness, being willing to forgive, being willing to be merciful. That is also an element of hospitality. Philemon is a letter written by Paul or sent from Paul to Philemon about Onesimus. He opens the letter. I'm not going to preach the whole letter, but he opens the letter in verses 1 and 2 by greeting Philemon, and then he he greets Apphia, who I believe is Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, likely or possibly the son of Philemon. He's addressing, I believe, in those first three verses, the whole family, because they were the head of the household. They were wealthy in the church at Colossae. And as he's writing to them, he's writing to them about one who had left and was now, after salvation, being commended by Paul to come back to his master. Come back, he was a bondservant to uh, Philemon, and he had run away, and he was worthy of death. And so what Paul is saying is, I want you to receive him. He gets down after making a personal appeal to Philemon. In verse 15, we pick up the reading, and we see that he's appealing now to Philemon being hospitable, one who gives care to another. Verse 15, the Bible says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, here's that word we read in the other passages, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, Put that on mine account. Paul's showing hospitality. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest, excuse me, how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. That is the essence of what hospitality does to another person. When you express a kindness in grace and love beyond what you have to do, but what you choose to do, it refreshes the other person. He goes on and says in verse 21, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee. 
knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say, or you're going to do more than I'm even asking you to do. I understand the heart that is within you, Philemon. Verse 22, but with all, prepare me also a lodging. He goes, by the way, you can be hospitable to me as well. Man, I'm telling you what, Philemon was being put on the hooks, wasn't he? But God knew, or Paul, I should say, knew what God could do and would do in the heart of this kind man. He finishes by saying, For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. In other words, Philemon had already expressed through word and probably through written letter how much he thought of the Apostle Paul, how much he cared for him, how much he wanted to benefit the Apostle Paul in his ministry. And we find that Paul says, then look, you take that hospitality that you've shown me and show it to Onesimus. By the way, Onesimus did not deserve it. He did not deserve it. The least of the provisions in this passage was lodging though it was a part. Paul wanted Philemon to be generous and gracious towards Onesimus because Onesimus was not a believer in Jesus Christ when he left, and now he was a believer in Jesus Christ. Philemon would need to use grace, mercy, forgiveness, and ultimately trust to ensure that he was hospitable when Onesimus arrived. I wonder what that day was like. By the way, who was it that carried the letter to Philemon? Onesimus himself. Edward, about a year and a half ago, preached a great message on this, and I agree with him. I don't believe that Onesimus read or knew what was written in the letter. Here you go, boss. Please don't kill me. Philemon opens it. You're good. Is it because of Paul? No, it's because of Philemon and the Spirit of God working in Philemon that there was restoration able to be provided. Onesimus needed a hospital-like treatment and not a prison-like treatment. And that's what Paul was writing to him. Be gracious, be kind, be hospitable, use hospitality. It is for provision, or excuse me, it is provision for another, but it's also let it be protection. In a very practical sense, hospitality in the Bible can be seen in the Good Samaritan story. Man was beaten up and laying on the roadside. The Samaritan finds him, binds up his wounds, pours in the oil and the wine, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, makes provender or provision for the man, leaves him there and provides a roof over his head, protection. Protection might be from the elements, it might be from the environment, it might be from emptiness of self, it might be from evil. But hospitality is you and I offering that guest, being fond of their situation, bringing them protection in that moment. Our entertaining, hosting, and having others in our life must be in a sense of protection. This should not keep you from exercising hospitality, but it should cause you to examine how you go about helping or intervening in the lives of others. If your home is a war zone, then master your roles and your responsibilities within your home before exposing others to it. Well, the wife and I just scream at each other all the time, but y'all come over and play some parties with us. I'll say no. 
might start fighting right in front of us. Listen, if that's your home, fix your home and then open your home. Here's an example of how Jessica and I try in our hospitality to exercise protection of others. When kids come to our house, we ask the parents if they're going to be allowed to watch a movie upstairs, what their children are allowed to watch and what games their children are allowed to play. Most of you with kids that have come to our house, you know that. Hospitality is not stupidity. (laughs) It is not sinfulness or flesh. It is helping to build a culture. When we have folks into our house, we are not trying to teach them how they ought to live like us. We're trying in that briefest of moment to example how Christ would live if he had a house. That's what hospitality is. And so we find that the meaning in provision and protection then is married to the manner of hospitality. So how does it conduct itself? If that's what it means, that I'm to provide and to protect others, then how do we go about doing it? Now, if the ladies have been around for a while, my wife is big on teaching on hospitality. And there's a couple reasons for that. She's going to watch this video tomorrow, so I have to be really careful. She's doing nursery tonight. It's mainly because she hates teaching and she's super nervous of teaching, so she just stays in what her wheelhouse is and what she loves. And she loves hospitality. She loves doing things for others. She loves having people in our house and hosting. Uh, She likes to cook, and I like to talk, and it's a good marriage. So she can cook, and I can talk when people come to our house. But the manner of hospitality for the ladies, she's talked on on quite a bit. I will try not to steal any of her examples as long as she has not stolen any of her examples from me over the years. Here is the manner of hospitality. Letter A, we should be eager. We should be eager. Paul says this to the Roman believers when he begins the practical side of Christian living in Romans chapter 12. He says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Given to hospitality. You should be eager because of the love that you have because of the honesty and integrity. By the way, you're starting to see from that passage how hospitality fits into godliness. In that passage alone, we have several of the traits that we've already studied in understanding godliness. Paul says that a functional church with faithful church members will herself be given to hospitality. I hope that every person that ever wanders in here by accident... And we know that they're led here by God and that there's a reason that God keeps bringing new people to us on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, and on Wednesday nights. That when people come in here, they ought to feel a little bit at home. We shouldn't stand in our five-member clubs and talk just to each other. There is a reason to build deep friendships, and I understand that on occasion. But on, in the normal course of life, there should be a lot of, hey, how you doing? Hey, how's your week? Well, tell me about it. What's going on? Is there something I can pray for? How can I help you? Is there anything you need? Well, pastor, I got a lot of those problems. Somebody should come ask me. Well, if you actually go start asking people, guess what people will do to you? They'll ask. Sweet, I'm moving this weekend. I better start asking. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm talking about. 
The word given in verse number 13 means to pursue it, to eagerly engage in the activity. They are eager to be hospitable. They embrace it. They're lovers of it, as it said before. It speaks of both enthusiasm and a rigor or or an energy that comes with it. The indication from every New Testament passage on hospitality is that believers are to eagerly embrace and engage in it. We live, by the way, in an increasingly insular society. Everybody tweets or posts, and they never actually talk. We would rather be left alone and not asked to engage with other human beings. By the way, that's foreign to the way that our designer, our creator, has made us. But it is in our natural man to be selfish and self-centered. It's certainly not how God has designed the Christian life. We have life and we must engage with others who have life on one hand or with those who need life on the other hand. That's what we are. We are the hospitals of hope in a relational sense on this earth. We should be eager, but letter B, we should be equal. We should be equal. Favoritism is not the calling. Prejudice has no place in Christian hospitality. And so we find in the Scriptures three other passages or three instances where there is an equality to how we use this hospitality without grudging. Number one, it's towards the faithful. Look, if you can't be hospitable with other believers, good luck being hospitable with the world. By the way, if you're only comfortable being around those of the world, look in the spiritual mirror of the Word of God and make sure you're saved. Galatians 6 and verse 10, Paul writes there, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially or primarily, chiefly, first, unto them who are of the household of faith. There's a great Old Testament story And that is the story of Rebecca. Abraham's servant comes rolling up on the well. He's got his camels, likely a camel train. It wasn't just him on one camel. He pulls up to the well, parks them, and the herd, the small little train, needs to be fed. They need to have a watering. And what does the servant do? He waits for her to... Give water. That's his sign that she is the one that should be the wife of Isaac. And so as she shows up, or as we get to that in Genesis 24, she is kind to the servant of Abraham because she recognizes a kinship in him. Not knowing what reward awaited her, she still demonstrated a blessing to others. She showed hospitality in that moment. By the way, she was excessively hospitable to the servant. And that's what served as a sign to him that God had answered his prayer. We should be faithful, or we should be, excuse me, hospitable towards the faithful. But number two, we should be uh, hospitable towards those foreign to us. It's a great passage in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. And I'll preach it in fullness here in a couple weeks when we get to chapter 13 in our Sunday morning study of Hebrews. But it says this, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, 
For thereby, or in that, some have entertained angels unawares. What? This is Wednesday night, so I can say it like that. Sunday morning, I'd say, well, what do you think God means, right? On Wednesday night, I can talk like family. What? I mean, have you ever had an angel sit down in here? Maybe. I believe through the years that our church has hosted angels. (gasps) I don't want to be spooky. I know Halloween was Monday night. There have been people who have visited our church just once and either has said an encouraging word, said something in passing that is truthfully, biblically prescient, meaning meaningful and purposeful to me. Our church family in the process of that one Sunday morning or one Sunday night or one Wednesday night shows kindness and openness and that person has never been seen or heard from again. Pastor, are you saying that was an angel? I don't know. It's happened on more than one occasion in 14 and a half years. And I can say that because the Bible says that sometimes that will happen. Why, how, and when? We're never told. But when we show hospitality to a stranger, just like Abraham did, we might be showing kindness to an angelic being, a messenger or test from Almighty God. Whoa. Is that the only reason we're kind to strangers? Absolutely not. But it's not a bad one. It might be the jump start if you can't be. Well, I can't host anybody in my house, Pastor. We're just not good for that. Really? You're telling me you would not enjoy having uh, the gift of God's strange messenger or strange-to-us messenger in your house? Well, I, I don't know about that. It could be dangerous. Opening yourself up brings risk but it also brings God's reward as well. I don't put a lot of stock in proving that, by the way. I say that on a Wednesday night just to wrinkle a brain or two or put a new crease in yours. Every person who ever visits this church, however, should be treated as if they are angelic. I don't care what they look like, or what they act like when they walk through the door. They should be treated as if they're an angelic being in our midst. They're a gift and a blessing from God. That is the heart of hospitality. There's a great story in the Old Testament that we won't take time to, but Abigail, because she married David, we all assume she always knew him, but she didn't. And David was on the way to whack her and her husband because of her churlish husband. And Abigail, with hospitality, meets David in the way, and it assuages, it kind of calms his wrath. All because of the graciousness. Now, it might have been garnered from the fact that she didn't want to die. That's probably a good reason to be hospitable in the moment. In the New Testament, Timothy is told that the church should care for the widows indeed in 1 Timothy chapter 5. In fact, one of the hallmarks of a faith-filled widow worthy of the church ministering to her is that she has lodged strangers. That's hospitality. It is a character trait then of faithful believers to to care for others' well-being spiritually and physically whether they know them or not. The third is we show hospitality towards our foes. We're going to close with this. We're going to take about five minutes here and deal with it. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 
I came across this literally this week in reading, and I added it to the message because, truthfully, I was struggling to find some New Testament scripture on hospitality to our foes. I could find verses in Matthew 5 and Luke 6 and Romans chapter 14, that, or chapter 12, that tell us that we're to bless them that persecute us, bless and curse not. I can find those. But to find a true picture of hospitality towards those that are our enemy was hard. And then lo and behold, this week, on one of the rare few days that I worked out this week, and it, they're getting more infrequent than they are frequent in my life, I was listening to the Bible, it's not even where I was reading, and I heard this story and I thought, that's it. This is the picture of why we demonstrate hospitality towards our enemies. Well, look with me in 1 Samuel chapter number 30. We'll start our reading, or I'll I'll summarize verses 1 through uh, 10 very quickly. David and his men had set up camp at Ziklag. The enemy, specifically the Amalekites, had come in and invaded the south from where they were on the coastline. In verse 2, they took all of the women captives. In verse 3, David and his men came to the city, and behold, the city was burned with fire. They had been out fighting the Philistines, another type of the flesh in the Old Testament. Verse 4, the people that were with David lifted up their voice and wept. David, in verse 5, had his two wives taken away. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it was a bad thing. It was clearly a bad thing for him. I'm teasing. I'm going to get in trouble this week. In verse number 6, David was greatly distressed, so we know it was a bad thing. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son, verse 6. In verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, I pray thee, bring me the ephod. So they now seek God's counsel. In verse number 8, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue? God gives him permission to pursue. David went, he and 600 men that were with him, verse 9, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. Verse number 10 is where we will pick up in earnest our reading. And I want you to understand the hospitality that David shows to his enemy in this passage and what it does, and that's what our application will be tonight. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field. Note, please, an Egyptian in the Old Testament is always someone who is in the world, or of the world, who is needing to come out of the world. And brought him to David and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. He was refreshed, exactly what hospitality does. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. Oh, what a picture of salvation. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt. Servant to an Amalekite. Aha! You're my enemy! I mean, verse 1, the Amalekites had just come in and burned their city, taken their women and their children. This guy deserved a sword in the gut. Is that what he got? And my master left me because three days ago, three days agone, I fell sick. We made an invasion. Notice the innocence of this man. The ignorance of this man. He's talking to the guy of whose city he just burned. 
And he says this, We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. You can just see David and his men roiling at this point. And David said unto him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And notice what the Egyptians said. Swear unto me by God that thou wilt not neither will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Oh, look what hospitality has done. It's converted the Egyptian. Oh, the conversion is complete. Look, I don't love my old master. He left me for dead. He wants nothing to do with me. He left me high and dry. Three days I've been here. I've been wanting someone to belong to. Oh, please help me. And when they had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Here is the point. It's an amazing story. Don't miss it. David easily could have destroyed this man. Had David not demonstrated hospitality, he would have never been able to pursue properly his wives, his children, and his possessions. He would have never been able to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. Instead of running him through with a sword, he instead decided to show his enemy kindness in the form of hospitality. And what did David get from it? A convert. Oh, I hope you don't miss the application. It's pretty obvious to the New Testament. We're coming up on an election six days out. And our country as a divide has the enemies colored, blue and red. And them of the other side don't agree with us of our side. And there's no good in them. If we take that approach, we're not ever going to reach them. Understanding godliness means we have to be hospitable. We have to use hospitality. Well, pastor, I don't agree with killing babies. No, I don't agree with killing babies either. We should vote yes on Amendment 2. I say that loud and clear, high and from the highest hilltops. I'll shout that. But I wonder how many of those that are going to vote no on Amendment 2 are like this Egyptian. Well, you're taking away choice. They're just ignorant and blind, and their master has left them high and dry and no provision. What we need to do in hospitality is give provision and protection for them. You can learn tonight that your pastor learned a story of hospitality buried here in the life of David. And it's a beautiful picture of hospitality. He was kind and gracious to his enemy. By the way, this Egyptian is the picture of those who are under the dominion of Satan. Their master leaves them to fend for themselves. And if we would, instead of showing hatred, animus, or hostility, but instead show hospitality to them, a love or a fondness of the stranger, huh, you don't think like I do. That doesn't mean I'm adopting their thinking. It means I have an opportunity to introduce them to my thinking. That's what hospitality does. Friends, we are the life-giving stations that God has placed throughout the world. We are the hospitals, and we must show hospitality. So in closing, are you hospitable? Far too many believers are hostile and even hateful 
towards the unbelieving world. To understand godliness, along with all of the other traits that we've studied, we must embrace hospitality as part of our very lives. We cannot live in cloistered groups, unwilling to go out into the world and to reach them for Jesus Christ, unwilling to go out and share the care and the love that Christ has demonstrated to us and demonstrate to them. We love God. We love others. As I prayed in the beginning, that little acrostic joy is still the way to understand how you should be living. Jesus, others, hospitality, and then you. Father, help us as we close our thoughts this evening.